Billy Graham in the 1940s had a small little church just outside Chicago. And someone asked him if he would begin a radio show and would preach. And he was a young, charismatic preacher. And what he did was basically take what people were talking about and hearing about every day on the news, in the media, and would go ahead and preach about those things and find something relevant and engaging in the process. And he thought it would be better if he had a little bit of music along with that. And in his book, Just As I Am, he he met this guy named uh, George Beverly Shea, and he became a part of Billy Graham's ministry for all the years until he passed away. Billy Graham passed away in 2018. But what was fascinating as I read about Billy Graham in his autobiography was the many ministries that spun off the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, the financial stewardship group that began the Youth for Christ. Billy Graham was the first evangelist for Youth for Christ, so you're familiar with that around here. It's known as Campus Life. And many other ministries began, and it was because he would innovate and be culturally relevant, and he would find common ground. And many of the mega church ministries, the ministries of today, are, are founded on the same principles of finding common ground and using every technology available to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul was probably one of the greatest evangelists, if you would agree, or missionaries of the New Testament. And his principle was also to find common ground, and that's what I'm going to be sharing with you today. But, but because common ground is so difficult to find today, I called it the principles of uncommon ground, because I don't know if you've been in existence over the last year and a half through the pandemic that most of the things that we might try to agree on seem to be disagreeable and is super hard to find common ground today. Would you say, can I get an amen? Amen. And a lot of things that should unite us have a tendency to divide us, and the church at the same time should be the greatest unifying force in our lives and in our world. And so I think we can learn some things, some principles of uncommon ground through the Apostle Paul. So if you'll turn in your Bibles or your tablets or your phones to Acts chapter 17, and the references today aren't correct, and it's all my fault. I didn't type them up right. I must have mistyped, but I was consistent about my mistyping. But we will be staying in Acts chapter 17, no matter what you see in your bulletin or in your outline today. So Acts 17, verse 16, it says, While Paul was waiting for them, at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. I think the key here is that he was provoked. In his spirit, in his being, he was concerned for what he saw. 
I think the Apostle Paul, if he lived today, would have that kind of concern. We don't have idols or statues, uh, but there's a lot of idolatry in our culture today. And he would also be provoked. He would be moved with compassion and emotion for the lostness of people. And the first principle is this, that Paul was not put off by the obvious spiritual needs in the culture. It was all around him, and folks, it's all around us. People are farther away from God as we live in this post-Christian environment that people aren't attracted and, and, and Christ is not attractive. They say, oh, I did that. I know about that. And they really, really don't know about it. And they need to rehear the gospel or be reintroduced to Jesus Christ. And Paul wasn't naive about the spiritual darkness of the Greek culture. Being Saul of Tarsus, Tarsus, the place where Paul was from, was full of, of Greek culture. And his background, not only was he a rabbi of rabbis and an understanding of the Jewish culture, but because he was surrounded by that Greek culture growing up, he completely understood the idolatry and the lostness of those that were far from God. And so if we look at this passage of Scripture, Paul starts with those with whom he has an uncommon ground. They do not share a faith or belief in one God, monotheism, our God, the only God. But he starts there. And if you look in verse 17 of Acts 17, he goes on and and, and Luke writes, he says, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. The key here is his reasoning power. Maybe you've tried to reason, maybe argue your point or perspective over this last year and a half, and it may not have had anything to do with Christianity. But folks... We are at war with folks from the other world. And they are blinded to the truth. And so it may take some reasoning. It may take upping the game in conversation to share what God has to say because you are teaching and preaching life to them. And they may be lost in darkness. And we need to do this in a winsome kind way, a non-defensive way. Years ago, as I was in college, I spent some time at Indiana State University. There was a guy there that was not winsome and was not kind. His name was, I called him Mad Max. I had somebody correct me and they knew him as Wacko Max and Max would preach so loud and be so disparaging and be so unkind and, and be rude, in fact, to the point of being derogatory toward individuals in the crowd that the gospel wasn't being heard. It was more like a, an, what a, a mean argument and a put down to those around him. You might call young ladies, inappropriate names. In fact, it would be rather brutal 
And he felt like he was sharing the gospel, whereas he was turning people off toward Christianity and away from Jesus. And it was really, really, again, provoking from an emotional point because he meant well, but it was more harmful than good. I would challenge you to spend time with the most receptive listeners that you can find. People that might even bring up the idea, hey, you go to church somewhere? Why do you do that? Or, or hey, do you want to do something on Sunday morning? And you may respond with, you know, I always go to church on Sunday morning. Those kind of conversations are people that used to go to church. I find a lot of those people out there, or I go to that church, but I haven't been there for 20, 30 years. Those are opportunities just to give a witness or to share a story about what if Christ is doing in your life and how he could work also in their lives. Because we have a message of life and of truth that comes from God that people need today. Engaging friends or colleagues into spiritual conversations who are nominal Christians or lapsed churchgoers. It might be your children, your adult children, your grandchildren, that you're just sharing tidbits of the gospel, of the story of what Jesus has done for you, why you go to church every Sunday, why, why, does, why does the sacred matter more than the secular? When we do this, I just got to warn you, we aren't always going to be successful. The third principle is to expect resistance. We always need to expect some resistance, even when we're doing good. If you'll look at Acts chapter 17, verses 18 through 21... Notice, Paul has some resistance here. Some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. And because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Don't we do that? We like the new things, the upgrades. Sometimes the F-grades aren't so spectacular. They're more like problem-oriented things that we have to troubleshoot. But a lot of times during this covered bridge season right now, we'll go out and look at what's new, what's different. If we read about it or hear about it, we we'll talk about the new technology or the next new thing. Well, that's what they, the Athenians did, but they did it from a, what do I want a verbal philosophy type of interchange like Paul was doing 
at the Areopagus. This new religion, this new divinity, this resurrection of the dead. Now, they, they saw stories of the gods, lowercase g, and, and Zeus, and all the Greek mythology. They understood that, but, but a living person, a son of God, a resurrection, that was physical resurrection, that was foreign to them. So it was a new thing. And so Paul was trying to gain common ground and leverage what he knew and what he knew of the culture so he could preach the gospel. And the fourth principle is this, that when you celebrate what others value, they will value what you have to say. So he was respecting them for their religiosity, for their spirituality, and finding common ground there. Notice in verses 22 and 23, he goes on, he says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. See, there were so many idols in Athens that it had been said that one would probably bump into an idol before you would bump into a person. In fact, they were covering all their bases by placing an idol up that said to the unknown God. And so what do you do with that? When idolatry sets you on edge and you are provoked... Well, this is what the Apostle Paul did. He complimented the Athenians' spiritual sensitivity. Today, people are spiritually sensitive, but they don't want to be a part of an organized religion. And, and the point is, we have a part of our being that is very, very spiritual, that nothing else will minister, will fill that need other than Jesus Christ. But what's interesting is Apostle Paul knew that, but what he does, and, 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 and it's super interesting, is that, that he, he tailored this message to those who were hearing it, and he quotes from the Greeks, revered poets. And this is, hard for, this is a hard word for me to say. Eponidas, I'll that's as good as I could pronounce it. He lived about 600 BC and, and he wrote a poem, and this is about the god Zeus, but Paul quotes him in relationship to our God. He says, In him we, we live and we move and have our being. You see, Zeus was just another god, lowercase g, that was kind of the father of all the gods in Greek mythology. But Paul was pointing out the difference from our creator God, the Jehovah God, that created everything that was in existence, that we know is, is in existence, that there are no other gods but him. But he was using Epimenides, for struggling with the pronunciation, but he also used Eratus. And these were, Epine anyway, 
E lived 600 years B.C. and Eratus lived 300 years B.C. But he also quotes him who also was referring to Zeus in his writings. And, and he says, we are his offspring. And Paul points this out again to the creator God that we worship, Jehovah God, that he was a creator of everything that existed, Adam and Eve and the whole creation story to the point that we are also his offspring and we need to know him. Idolatry doesn't work, but he was saying it in a kind way. Now you might ask, well, for all this effort, for Paul quoting these Greek philosophers and him trying to find common ground, what was the result? Well, the result was this, that that there were converts, there were people that heard him speak that said, hey, I want to know more about this Jesus that you speak, this God of all creation. Even in the midst of a society where there was all kinds of idolatry, they came to know Jesus Christ. And Paul affirmed them by affirming their affections. I have a friend that calls me, and we have a lot of things in common, a lot of hobbies. I like to mountain bike. I like to race bikes, believe it or not. I like to shoot guns. I like to do a lot of those things. So we have common ground. And in that, having those affections and affirming those affections, I have an opportunity to encourage him spiritually in his life. And also to show compassion and kindness as he goes throughout his life that he might reconnect to Christ. And, and, and that is so important that we celebrate the person before you communicate the gospel. That we develop a relationship. These are natural relationships and friendships that we have commonality with that we can share Christ. Because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Do the people around you know how much you care about them? Those friends and those acquaintances, do they know how much you care? I had a person, and I, I, it just got me, because he got it. This last week I was talking to him on the phone. I checked on him. He's not a member of our congregation. He's an acquaintance. And I, the, the Holy Spirit, something, he came up in my, uh, on my heart and I just called him and said, Hey, how you doing? What's going on? Just checking on you to communicate that I cared about this person. And he, and he said, he said, you know, our relationship is built on a caring and a love and I, I really, really appreciate that, that my soul is filled in our relationship. Do you have relationships like that with others? That they know how much you care. Jesus said this to Peter in Matthew sixteen eighteen. He said, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it.
What was that in response to Peter saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God? You see, that's our lives, that we share the gospel in such a way that they know Jesus, that their soul is filled, and it's our love that breaks down those barriers and creates common ground. See, complementing the culture is a way to gain a hearing in our post-Christian world. We live in a world that no longer recognizes God as who he is or Jesus Christ as who he is, that he gave his life to die on a cross that we might know him as Lord and Savior, that our sins could be taken away, that we could live an everlasting life with God. He broke down those barriers. He created common ground for us. This morning, I don't know where you are in relationship to your walk in Christ. If you're nominal, if it's been a long time since you've been in church, if you're joining us online today and you're just checking us out and this whole Christianity thing, I hope you'll come and join us or or you'll be a faithful viewer until you feel comfortable gathering with us uh, in person. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, today's the day, now's the time. If you've kind of strayed, you know, Jesus is always willing to welcome us back. And if you're just struggling with what's going on in our world today, I mean, this is the place to be. We need each other. We need that love and that compassion, that care. So this morning, as you stand, I hope that God will move in you and the presence of the Holy Spirit will move in you. Will you please stand as I pray this morning?